I have this, call it a fire in my bones. God, I want to see your glory. I want to see you touch many lives. I want to see revival. I want to see people passionate, hungry for Jesus. Nothing compares. Nothing compares. Let's say nothing compares. But you will only believe me when you taste it for yourself. So you might be here tonight saying, well, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. When you taste it, you will know. When you taste it, you will know what, the, what, what that is, what, who he is. So I want to quote there by Daniel Kulenda. He says, the greatest danger the world faces is not radical Islam, but nominal Christianity. In other words, the greatest danger the world faces is not the problems the enemy, the assaults, the issues. You know, the biggest problem in the world is not drugs or immorality or darkness or whatever. The poverty, you name it. Those are not the main problems. The main problem is nominal Christianity. The main problem is a people who call themselves Christians, but they don't have a fire on the inside of them. They don't have the presence of God filling them. They, 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 you see, the church is supposed to be the solution to the problems of the world. You and me. We are supposed to be the solution to the problems of the world. But then, you must have a fire on the inside of you. That fire is called the Holy Spirit. It's called a personal revival. It's called a personal revival. You see, when the presence of God comes and fills you, all your stuff falls off you. You get over yourself. Whatever you might be going through, your, your torments, your, your worries, your, your, your doubts, your, your fears, your addictions, your whatever it might be, insecurities, all those things, it just it falls off you when you step into the presence of the Almighty who loves you with a love that no one can understand. So the greatest danger is nominal Christianity so that we need a revival in the church of Jesus Christ. And I believe God has called us to become a revival in East London. That's the mission. And I need you to join the team. I need you to say, I want to I do that. I want to be part of that. I want to be someone through whom the power of God moves forth and the love of God moves forth to change someone's life. Amen. You know, for me, when we were like on a small group on Wednesday night, we were chatting in our group and I was just, just going through, you know, the people whose lives have been impacted over the last year. And I'm like, this is so awesome. It's so awesome to see someone's life changed through your life. You, you, you come alive. You come alive when you see the power of God working. So... Rampant, rampant moral decline isn't the issue. The issue is that it is happening within the ranks of Christians. A large section of the church is moving further away from her roots, backsliding, compromising, looking just like the rest of the world. So in other words, we the church, which are supposed to be completely different, are just looking like the rest of the world. That is a problem. We need revival. We need revival. We need revival. Hallelujah. So a revival counteracts nominal Christianity. A revival causes hearts to catch flame. A revival strengthens the church to believe again and to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. A revival refreshes us. A revival is when heaven comes to earth, 
They call it a thin place. If this would be a thin place, it'd be like the, the divide between heaven and earth is thin. It's like they cross the two realms, overlap. Heaven comes to earth. And when heaven comes to earth, everything that's contrary to heaven must go. A good example would be, some of you know Ziggy. She was, uh, she's currently in Cape Town. She went down to Cape Town for, for, for medical examinations. A lot of problems in her body. And uh, so she went down for like major tests, like weeks of, of tests. So I think it was close to the start of that. She came to our shofar conference in Cape Town. So we were there. I was praying for people. And then I say, Ziggy, okay, how are you doing? And she says, pray for me. I've just got a lot of sickness in my body. Pray for me. So I pray for her. I lay hands on her. Next moment, the Holy Spirit comes upon her. The, the fullness of God moves upon her. And she goes down to the floor. Sometimes what happens when the fullness of God comes, our human bodies don't know what to do with that. And then we tend to go down to the floor. Anyway, after a while she got up. I was like, how are you feeling? So she had, since school days, she had um, a type of asthma. When she goes upstairs, she needs, needs to use an asthma pump. So when she got up from the floor, the lungs were open. Thank you, Jesus. She had sleeping problems. Next day she WhatsApped me, I slept like a dream. And then she had colon problems, and she went through all the medical tests, and like 80 to 90% of all her problems have been solved. Hallelujah. Let's give Jesus a hand. Come on. God is good. So she is not a make-believe. She went to the doctors, like did all the tests, and they're like, we can't find all these things that we found previously. What's going on here? Personal revival in a sense happened. Heaven touched her. The presence of God came upon her. And that's what God wants for us. That's what God wants for us. So here's a few stories. There's a guy called Smith Wigglesworth. He, a, a early 1900s, he lived um, to the middle of 1940-1950, around there. And uh, they say like more than 10 people were raised from the dead through his prayers. So they asked him one time, so Smith, how did you do it? How do you raise these people from the dead? And he said, well, if you've prayed for as many dead people as I have, then surely some of them must get up. <laughs> so, which speaks about the tenacity of to, to keep on praying, keep on praying, don't give up. So he said, dare to believe, then command. He had a, before he died, in 1939, he prophesied. Of a final wave of God's glory that will cover the earth before Jesus returns. He said, I see the last day revival that's going to usher in the precious fruit of the earth. It will be the greatest revival this world has ever seen. It's going to be a wave of the gifts of the Spirit. The ministry gifts will be flowing on this planet earth. I see hospitals being emptied out. And they will bring the sick to churches where they allow the Holy Ghost to move. I see hospitals being emptied out, and they will bring the sick to churches where they allow the Holy Ghost to move. So imagine we can empty out Frey Hospital. Imagine we can in, uh, empty out Cecilia Makawane. We would have a revival in Himdansane like South Africa has never seen. Why not? Jesus didn't. The apostles did in the book of Acts. We've seen revivals over the years. Why not in East London? Why not here? 
Why not in our midst? Why not a fire in our bones, in our hearts? So the key, I want to just share two keys. The first key is hunger. We need to be hungry for more. We need to be hungry for more. We need to say, I'm tired of ordinary Christianity. I'm tired of an ordinary existence. I'm tired of just going through the motions. Revival begins with a hunger for more. Let's say it, I'm hungry. For revival. But revival in itself is out of reach. Only God can do it. Only God can truly bring a revival that sweeps East London and the Eastern Cape. But we can prepare the ground by becoming a walking revival. By becoming hungry and thirsty for God. By becoming tired of the earthly and the usual and the ordinary. Revival starts with me and you. Are you satisfied? Are you happy just with the state of the church? Are you happy with the state of South Africa? Are you happy with the state of East London? Are you happy with, the, with all the rubbish we're seeing around us? I am not. I'm going to make a difference. You can too. You can too. We are going to make a difference. I believe this. We are going to make a difference. Let's say we're going to make a difference. But we need to get hungry. We need to get thirsty. We need to be like, God, it's you that we want. It's you that we want. It's you that we want. So look at this. Every revival and every personal revival begins with a God encounter for you yourself. So look at this, even Roberts, a young man, I think he was in his early 20s, and God used him to spark a revival in Wales that led to 100,000 people coming to Christ in three years. They say they closed down the prostitute houses, they closed down the pubs and the bars because no one was interested. They changed those to worship houses. They say that the miners could no longer work with their donkeys because the donkeys couldn't understand them if they were not swearing. So they stopped swearing because they committed the lives of Jesus. And they, they, learned, they taught the donkeys that when I cuss you out, you must walk. So they weren't cussing anymore. So the donkeys were like, this isn't working. <laughs> It was a phenomenal things that happened. It would begin in one town where they would have meetings right through the nights. And then the people from the one town would begin to walk as, a, as like a mob, like worship, walking to the next town. And then as they would walk and worship into the next town, the presence of God would fall upon that town and the kingdom would come and multitudes would turn to Christ. Supernaturally. Now even Roberts... He said, it will not do for us to go to heaven by ourselves. We must be on fire, friends, for saving others. The first thing that happens when you become a real Christian, you love people. Your, your, your heart burns for people. It's like, Jesus, what about them? Jesus, what about my family? What about my friends? What about my neighbors, God? He says, to be workers will draw heaven down and will draw others to heaven. So I said, when we are a worker for the kingdom of God, we're going to draw down heaven and we're going to draw others to heaven. Amen. 
like it was a good chat with Aaron on, on Wednesday, but to say, to listen to him saying, because Aviwe and Aaron are good friends, best friends, best friends. And he could see the change in Aviwe's life over the last year. And he said, man, I need to go and visit this church. <laughs> I want to find out what happened, why? Why, what, what happened in his life? Who are these people? Then I spoke to a lady yesterday, um, Pelisa, I think. She's a friend of Ziggy. And she knew about all the problems when she heard about how God touched her. She said, I must go meet these people. And so she came to church two weeks ago. Had an amazing God encounter. Her brother committed suicide or died two months before. And she found him in his bed and she, her life was falling apart. It was chaos. And since she's come to church, she has hope. God has touched her. Set her free from the fear and anxiety. Amen. And every one of us can tell the story of what Jesus has done. Because this is not dead religion. This is when you meet him, you change. So, so look at this. Oh, oh, I'm going to just share with you what happened to him. During his time, the three years of this revival in Wales, 1904 to 1906, the, Welsh, the Great Welsh Revival, as I said, more than 100,000 souls were saved, and a complete transformation of a nation took place. But even more significant was the fact that this move of God sparked the Azusa Street Revival that's since gone all over the world. In other words, something happened in Wales, and it jumped across the ocean to Los Angeles, they called the Zeus Street, where a revival broke out. And then the Pentecostal charismatic movement began there, which we are a part of. And there are currently more than 600 million people across the earth that are part of this movement. All began with this boy. Look at what happened to him. Listen, listen to this God. I love this. I want this, Jesus. Please. I want this. Even Ivan had a, a series of unusual experiences with God including a number of face-to-face -face encounters. An interview with him is quoted in his book, 1905. It says there, For a long, long time, I was much troubled in my soul and my heart by thinking over the failure of Christianity. So he was hungry. He was frustrated in a good way. He was like, this is so not right. This is so not right. This is so not right. God, look at my country, Wales. But that night... After I'd been in great distress praying about this. So he took his frustrations to a place of prayer. And he went praying about this and he says, I went to sleep. And at 1 a.m. in the morning, suddenly I was wakened up. And found myself with unspeakable joy and awe in the very presence of the Almighty God. He woke up in the presence of God. And for the space of four hours, I was privileged to speak face to face with him. As a man speaks face to face with a friend. At 5 a.m. it seemed to me as if I again returned to earth. And it was not only that morning, but every morning for three or four months that the same thing happened. Three to four months, every morning from one to five he had this incredible God encounter. He says, I felt it and it seemed to change all my nature. He was changed. I saw things in a different light. And I knew that God was going to work in the land and not in this land only, but in all the world. God encounter. A God encounter. And you might say, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. But you will know when you have it. 
Because you will be changed. Let's say it. I want that. I want a God encounter. Amen. So tonight, at the end of the service, we want to pray for some of you and trust that God's going to touch you. So Moses, just go to the Bible. Moses was a man like this. Moses saw more miracles, more of God than any other man, any other human being until that time. And he experienced God on the mountain after coming out of Egypt. So he was on this mountain with God in the glory cloud. Everybody else was afraid. No one wanted to come near the mountain. They were terrified lightnings and sounds and thundering. And God said, Moses, come. And Moses walked up the mountain and into this cloud of glory. And so God was speaking to him and he was speaking to God. He, it was an amazing experience. And yet, it wasn't enough for him. Look at this. Exodus 33 verse 17. He was a man hungry for more of God. In the midst of all he has experienced, he was, God, I want more of you. Show me you. So he says, this, so the Lord said to Moses, so that after he said, God, and he says, I will also do this thing that you've spoken. He said, God, go with us. I don't want to go without you. For you have found grace in my sight and I know you by name. And he said, Moses said, please show me your glory. God, I'm not happy to be outside. I'm not happy to be on the fringes. I'm not just happy to see your power. I want to know you. Hunger. 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 This is what God wants to do. I was reading this week, John Wesley, the Methodist church movement, 1700s. 60 of them had an all-night prayer meeting. Around 3 o'clock, it was a New Year's Eve thing. They were worshiping and praying through the night. Around 3 o'clock that morning, God entered. God entered that church building. They were all on the ground, on the floor. People were encountering God like never before. John Wesley caught fire. And because of him, there's now like 40 million plus Methodists all across the, the earth. Because of one man who caught fire. But it was a group of people that were seeking God together. Amen. May we be such. Every testimony I share is an invitation for you and for us to have the same. So it says there, then he said, after he said, Lord, show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. This is what God is saying. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. So God is saying, I'm going to let my goodness pass. You want to see my glory? My glory is my goodness. I'm going to let all my goodness pass before you. I'm going to proclaim to you who I am. And he said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. No man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me. You shall stand on the rock. Say, on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by. I will put you in the cleft of this rock and I will cover you with my hand and I will pass by. So God put him like in the rock and then his presence, he could just see the back of God as he passed by. But God said, my goodness is the foundation. My goodness is the foundation of revival. Because God is so good 
it comes natural to hunger to know Him. I often say this, but I love my wife, I love my son, I will die for them. But the love of Jesus for me is beyond anything a human can give you. Beyond anything. He is so good. And so he wants us to pursue. He wants us to realize the earthly will not satisfy. Let's say it, the earthly will not satisfy. Only God himself. Only God himself will satisfy. He is so good. He is the lover of your soul. He is so good that he took our worst upon himself when he died on that cross. And he gave his, his best to us. Your worst. Think of your worst. The worst stuff you've done. Lying, stealing, lusting, hurting, hating, killing. All those things. Perversity. Darkness on the soul. All of those things. The worst moment of your life. The most sinful, most depraved, most ugly part of your life. Jesus took that upon himself when he died on the cross. He said, that stuff, give it to me. I'll carry it for you. And then he exchanged your worst for his best. I give to you my holiness. I give to you my purity. I give to you my joy. I give to you my peace. I give to you my love. I give to you my righteousness. Now, like Moses, you can step into the presence of God like never before. Exchange. He gave it all. He's good. Let's say it. He's good. <laughs> he's so good. He's so good. But his goodness demands a response. If I experience all of that and I live as I previously lived, something is wrong. But if I experience all of that, it should be this massive change should come on God. My life is yours. Whatever it costs, whatever it takes. Whatever I need to do, how many hours I need to pray, to, how many hours I need to worship, if I need to step out of my comfort zone, if I need to look like a blooming idiot, then I'll do it. Because I just want you. I just want you. Come on, where are you at? Where are you at? Let that stir on the inside of you. God, I want the real deal. I want to experience you. If we realize how good he is, we will desire him. Another powerful story, John G. Lake, one of my favorite guys, lived early 1900s. He had a quote there. We are awakening to that marvelous truth that Christ is not in the heavens only for the atmosphere, nor the atmosphere only, but Christ is in you. But then you need to be hungry if you want his fullness. You need to be thirsty if you want his fullness. Say, God, I, I desire that. It needs to drive us to our knees to pray. He says here, and I listen to this, he had a God encounter. Let me give you some background. What happened later. He came after this God encounter. He's an American. Came to South Africa. Moved his family to South Africa in 1908. Where in a period of five years, he planted 625 churches. He raised about 1,250 local pastors and saw one million people converted to Jesus Christ. He later moved back to the U.S. 
in two of his trips to the Pacific Northwest, to Spokane, Spokane, Washington, Portland, <clears throat> resulted in the establishment of the healing rooms for which Lake is best known today. At one time, they would declare that this city was the healthiest city in the United States after 100,000 verifiable healings had occurred over a five-year period. 100,000 people were physically healed in a five-year period. He literally had called healing rooms, and the people would come to these healing rooms, and he and his wife and other people would pray for them, and multitudes were being healed. 100,000 documented healings in five years. But now listen to the background. He was hungry. He was hungry. He was thirsty for more of God. And so listen to this powerful story. He says, One afternoon that autumn, a fellow minister asked Lake to accompany him to the home of a woman who had requested prayers for healing. For 10 years, this woman had been in a wheelchair because of inflammatory rheumatism. 10 years in a wheelchair. As this, his friend spoke with a lady to prepare her for prayer, Lake sat across the large room in a low chair. And there he had a powerful encounter with God. He says, now listen to this, the hunger. My soul was crying out to God in a yearning too deep for words. When suddenly it seemed to me that I had passed under a shower of warm tropical rain, which is not falling upon me, but through me. My spirit and soul and body under this influence was soothed into such a deep, still calm as I'd never known. My brain, which had always been so active, became perfectly still. An awe of the presence of God settled over me. I knew it was God. Some moments passed. I do not know how many. The Spirit said, I have heard your prayers. I have seen your tears. You are now baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then currents of power began to rush through my being from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet. The shocks of power increased in rapidity and voltage. As these currents of power would pass through me, they seemed to come upon my head, rush through my body, and through my feet into the floor. The power was so great that my, my body began to vibrate intensely. So that I believe if I've not been sitting in such a deep low chair, I might have fallen upon the floor. At that point, his friend, not noticing the state he was in, invited Lake to come to help him pray. Lake could hardly walk. He was trembling so violently. While his friend continued to kneel down in front of the woman's wheelchair, Lake simply touched her head lightly so as not to jar her with his trembling. And he felt currents of holy power pass through his body. He knew she felt it too, even though she didn't say anything. Now I might think, well, is that biblical? Currents of power coursing through someone. Remember maybe, the, remember maybe the story of the woman who had a flow of blood that she was pressing through the crowd wanting to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. When she touched the garment, it says, and Jesus felt power leave his body, move into her and heal her. So it's very biblical. So it continues. My friend who had been talking to her in his great earnestness had been kneeling as he talked to her. He arose saying, let us pray that the Lord will now heal you. As he did so, he took her by the hand 
At the instant their hands touched, a flash of dynamic power went through my person and through the sick woman. And as my friend held her hand, the shock of power went through her hand into him. The rush of power into his person was so great that it caused him to fall on the floor. Electricity went to the floor. Last week, Sunday night, we had some people on the floor. The power of God. You might not know what happened there, but it's the power of God that is moving and touching. Amazing story in the scriptures. The Judas betrayed Jesus, and they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, and a whole bunch of soldiers came with Judas. And then they asked, who is Jesus? And then Jesus said, I am. When he said, I am, all the soldiers fell to the floor, to the ground. Go read it. I think it's the book of John. In that specific gospel, they say, when he, when he said, I am, it was like the presence of God was released through him and they went to the floor. That's God. That's God. Huh? Much better than Star Wars. Star Wars is just copying the Bible. This is the real deal, not just the nice fairy tales. The real deal. I've prayed for just so many people over the last year or two. When the power of God touches them, they go to the floor and they get up changed. They get up healed. They get up delivered. The power of God, the electricity from heaven, the power from heaven. And so he looked at me with joy and surprise when the guy fell to the ground, springing to his feet. He said, praise the Lord, John. Jesus has baptized you in the Holy Ghost. Then he took the crippled hand that had been set for so many years. The clenched hands opened and the joints began to work. First the fingers, then the hand and the wrist, then the elbow and the shoulder. And this woman was healed and she got out of her wheelchair. Praise God. The first of another few hundreds of thousands of people that were healed through this man's ministry. So it's cool when we were at the Convergence Conference, um, I shared for just for 10 minutes part of a panel, and at the end of the night we had an opportunity to pray for sick people. So I called sick people forward. So it was just this one cool story. With, uh, the one lady, she, she had an a, um, a arm in a sling, and she had to have it in a sling for another two weeks, and then she was healed, and she threw the sling away, and she was healed. Thank you, Lord. And then there was another lady, interesting, a friend of, a friend of ours. He saw this lady go, also go to the front for prayer. And before anybody prayed for her, she turned around and she went back to her chair. And he was like, no, go back. Go, go let someone pray for you. So he went to and asked her, why aren't you asking someone to pray for you? And then she said, well, I went up and I couldn't move my finger at all. And now I can. So she went back to her chair. Something small, but so cool. Without anybody praying for her, just because we said, in Jesus' name, be healed. Because I had a word about hands being healed. And then her finger was healed. Amen. Jesus is alive and powerful. He's working amongst us still through his Holy Spirit. And he wants to warm our hearts. He wants to warm our hearts. He wants to warm our hearts. So John G. Lake, his life was forever changed after that God encounter. So are you hungry for a God encounter? Are you thirsty for a God encounter? Because you need to be thirsty if you want it. The Lord gives it to those who are hungry, who are thirsty. And so when we are hungry for more, it leads us to pray. It leads us to pursue the Lord. 
like an athlete training for the Olympics for those four years. You're so focused because you know, my goal, God encounter. My goal, revival. My goal, the fullness of God. Let's say it, I want the fullness of God. Let's say it, I am, I am on God's schedule. It's time for a God encounter. Amen. It's time. He wants to. He wants to. It just needs a little bit of faith, a little bit of expectation, a little bit of hunger that would lead us to pray. So we're going to do a, a special upgraded 21 days of fire in January. We did this beginning of this year, but we're going to do upgraded one. We're going to give you all slots to fill in. We're going to, for three weeks, we're going to see how many, how many of the 24 hours we can fill with prayer slots. That all of us are going to set aside time. We're going to seek the face of God. We're going to pursue the face of God to see revival come. Amen. Come on. We are on His schedule. So, be hungry, but be thankful. Be hungry for more, but be thankful for what is. Be thankful for what is. I've seen this in myself when I'm hungry and I'm hungry and I'm hungry for more. I also get frustrated. Lord, I want more. And you become frustrated and more frustrated. And then it's not working. You see, if you want to take a step, if you want to like, you're walking up steps and you, you want to take the step into that God encounter, into revival, you first need to be on another step. You can't like go from the ground up to go make that step up there. The step that you're standing on is called thanksgiving. Thank you God for everything you've already done. Thank you, Lord, that you brought me, you saved me. My name is written in the book of life. Thank you, God, for everything you've already done, the miracles and the life change. and the God, thank you for, for your presence in my life. Thank you for, for everything you've done. You know, every one of us must be thankful. When, you, when you're thankful, you're standing on that step, on that, and then you can take the next step. But I'm hungry for more. Amen. So, this is a trap. You can be so hungry that you become unthankful and you can never reach that next step. You can never reach that next step. You can never reach that next step. So, Thanksgiving, I just want to read this one, one scripture. So, you need to live in two dimensions. Mention, I'm thankful for the past, but I'm so hungry for more. I'm so thirsty for more that I'm going to live like that guy training for the Olympics. So, Look at the Psalm 105, verse 1 to 7. It's also on the last day of my book, Increasing Heaven's Flow. It says there, this is this David bringing back the tabernacle, the presence of God. The glory. David's heart was to bring revival to Jerusalem and to Israel. He wanted the fullness of the presence of God. He was a worshiper. He was passionate about God. He would dance like a crazy man in the streets, bringing back the, the presence, the tabernacle, this Big golden box that carried the presence of God. And then this psalm was the song they sung. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds. 
among the peoples. Sing to him, sing psalms to him, talk of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. So in those five, just go to the top again. But you see this tension there. Seek him. Be thankful. Pursue his face. But remember what he's done. You see the two legs, the two components, the two dimensions. You must come with thanksgiving, with singing, with praise. If you want the more, if you want to step into it. Give thanks to the Lord. Let's, let's read this together. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous works. Next one. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done. His wonders and the judgments of his mouth. So he's saying, remember everything God has done. Our God is not a historical God. He doesn't want us to remember so we can live in the past. He wants us to remember so they can do the same and more in our midst. Remember that he's great and glorious. Remember that even Peter's shadow healed the sick. Remember that Jesus raised the dead and the apostles raised the dead. Remember all the great men and women of God over the centuries that God used so powerfully. And he's saying, guys, this is for you. Let's get hungry. Just position yourself. Get onto that step with thanksgiving and then, I'm hungry. I'm stepping into the mall. Come on. Remember. Remember. Be thankful. So there are a bunch of things you can be thankful for. So I want to stir you. <laughs> I want to stir your passion. I want to stir your heart for more of God. I want, I want to stir your hunger and your thirst. You need to believe that this is for you. You need to believe that this is God's will for your life. Let's say it. This is for me. This is for me. Hallelujah.